Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. of the Championship Roundtable. I'm your host, Jake Jackman, and you can reach us at the podcast by emailing us at championshiproundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm James Evans. Uh, I'm a QPR fan on Twitter. If you want to kind of abuse or actually have a conversation, it's Jim E. Evans. I'm also the QPR blogger for Shoot Magazine. I'm uh, Scott McCarthy, and I write for We Are Brighton. You can find us at We Are Brighton, and our website is wearebrighton.com. I'm Andy Buckley-Taylor, long-suffering Derby County supporter, and uh, you can message me on Twitter at BuckTaylor64. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us today, guys. Uh, we'll just start with making the rounds where each of us will have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. James, we'll start with you. A draw against Flandre and Blackburn may have looked sort of poor on paper. What were your thoughts on the match, and do you think maybe you should have got more out of the game? Hi, Jake. I don't know. It's a funny one. Um... QPR is a great ground to come to if a team's struggling. Uh, if, you know, if you're on a bad run, come to Loftus Road, you'll probably get at least a point. Um, but, and it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't the best of matches, but I wouldn't say that we were absolutely awful. Um, but what was, it, what was interesting was uh, at the end of the game, quite a, a percentage of the fans, the, the home crowd booed. I mean, you know, we're seventh, we've drawn. We've not had that bad a start to a season. So I don't know if my kind of what I see of the game and my expectations is different to, to everybody else's. But it wasn't a great game. Um, Blackburn Blackburn was set very, very kind of defensive and solid, and but then did look quite dangerous on the break. And in a ridiculous bit of quality, I don't know if any of you have seen it, but honestly, check it out. Um, Cherry's free kick in the full 30 yards incredible and then about three minutes later typically the worst time to sort of equalize maybe not three minutes but close and Blackburn just scored and it was probably probably fair I mean I, I, in terms of how much they're struggling they didn't look like that they were that bad um, but um, if we'd have had someone that you think might score 20 goals a season we may have we may have edged it but not to be yeah, and I'd just like to um, uh, hear your thoughts on Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. He's obviously been at your club for almost a year now, and it, it, you know he's a different manager to what you've had in the past. What are your views on him, and do you think he's starting to have an impact at the club? I think he's definitely, um, yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely had an impact. I feel like, you know, by and large, the team seemed to be fitter and more organised. <clears throat> I mean, the thing is, obviously, it's just. Rednap, Rednap's kind of a of, of a different era now, um, in terms in terms of in terms of managers. Um, the, my, I, I, 
I think for some, the jury's still out with Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. I, I don't think we've had a bad start to the season, though. I mean, you know, most most fans would have taken this uh, to begin with. I think my biggest concern, and I don't know if it's him or if it's Les Ferdinand, because between them they sort of go and get the players, um, is that we play 4-2-3-1, which I don't know if that works in the championship. I think you've got to have some... You know, you can get away with the defensive six, as it were, being decent. But the, the the attacking ones, I just don't know if that's the sort of thing that will work in, in the Premier League rather than the Championship. But Jimmy seems to be geared, or the squad is, to just one striker. And I just don't know if we don't then create enough chances. So that would be my one major kind of concern. And moving on to you now, Scott, um, just talk us through Brighton's week. Obviously a disappointing loss at home to Brentford. What went wrong for you this weekend? It was absolutely terrible. I could use a lot stronger language than that, but I don't think it would be appreciated. We were just... Brentford were well-organised. We, we couldn't break them down. Um, we had absolutely zero pace up front. Glenn Murray and uh, Tom Hemed is not going to sort of... It's all very well and good pumping balls into the box, but if you want to get um, sort of in behind Brentford, you need a bit of pace to do it. And the fact that the only time we looked dangerous going forward was we chucked on a, a guy called Elvis Manu, who is probably one of the, the worst players we've signed in the championship. And that's saying something, because we've had a lot of poor players through the years. And he looked like our best player, purely because he was able to run, get in behind. But Brentford were well organised, and it was a... They more than... A draw probably wouldn't have been a, an unfair result, but they were spot on, and they you know got away with the three points, which was probably just about deserved, because we were just not at the races. Yeah, obviously now it's been uh, two losses in a row. How do you think the squad are going to bounce back from this? And do you, do you think that you'll still, you know, will be able to recover and get back to winning ways soon? Yeah, I think I think we'll still be okay. I mean, we had a funny little blip around December last year when the same sort of thing happened, and we just looked we looked awful, and uh, we recovered from it. And I think Hutton's he's still obviously the he'll get the best out of the players. It just might require a little tinkering with the tactics but I can understand why he's reluctant to do so being in mind we were so successful last year playing in a particular way the one the one thing we did uh, actually miss yesterday was Sam Baldock who was suspended because he got sent off against uh, Newcastle obviously and uh, with him back hope he, he's a little bit different to the other front too so hopefully he'll, uh, he'll add something new to the team and if we come up against a side who sits back like Brentford do very well organised we'll be able to break him down a bit better next time yeah, it could even be a blessing that you've lost these two games early because last year obviously you went on that huge unbeaten run and it, it felt like at times that you're playing for draws and trying to maintain the unbeaten run rather than going for the wins and dropping some crucial points. So in, in that regard, it could be a good thing. I just want to ask you quickly about Lewis Dunk because obviously he signed a new deal at the club. Uh, there was rumours that he could have been offered to Crystal Palace. You know, how, how good is that for the club and do you, how good do you think he can become? I think it, he's... He's a bit lacking on the pace side, but he's easily good enough to play Premier League. And but obviously, the he was already on a deal till 2020, so effectively they've just extended it by one year. He signed the original one after the um, the interest shown by Fulham last year. But because he's English, obviously that's going to whack a bit more on the price. And I think the club are just being smart. He he will play in the Premier League whether it's with us or not. But if a club does come in now, it's just added to his transfer value, which is obviously going to be good in the long run for us. And probably good for him as well. Yeah, now just uh, moving on to you now, Andy. Um, Derby obviously struggled again in front of goal. Didn't score uh, against Newcastle yesterday. How did you see the match from a Derby perspective? Well, to be quite honest, the, the first sort of like 
15, 20 minutes as uh, the most positive we've played all season. But um, it was the same old, same old story of uh, not creating chances to put away. You know, uh, doesn't matter what strikers we bring in. If we don't create the chances for them, we're not going to score the goal. But I think all of this um, is down to the fact that uh, we've got a new manager in and he's changed from the 4-3-3 system, which we've played for the past three years. And there's players, the players that are already at the club when he arrived, either they can't or they won't play the new system. Yeah, and on a deadline day as well, you've uh, you obviously let go Jeff Hendrick to Burnley and Chris Martin's gone on loan to Fulham. Do you think it was a mistake letting those two go or do you think you didn't have much choice? Well, t- to be quite honest, um, when we got a full squad, Jeff Hendrick's not an automatic choice for the team um, because bearing in mind George Fawn is currently out, Craig Bryson would normally be uh, uh, an automatic choice and uh, the likes of Will Hughes... Um, but you're looking at Will Hughes or Jeff Hendrick uh, when you start in a Derby lineup. Uh, for me, Will Hughes is twice the player that Jeff Hendrick is. I think mean, that was a good piece of business, and it, it's allowed Jeff himself to uh, go out and uh, test himself in the Premier League. As with Chris Martin, um, if you look over the past three seasons overall, his strike rate's been very good. Is a 25, 21 and 16 goals respectively. But if you go look back at the last 20, 25 matches, um, you know, his uh, production levels drop significantly. And I, I, I just think um, he was he's at the stage now where he himself needs to move and perhaps we, we need to look at an alternative up front. Um, having said that, you know, £2.5 million loan free with, uh, I think Fulham's got an option to purchase for s- £6 million. Uh, and For a player that we got for free, I don't think it's bad business overall. So now, obviously, I was on the other side of that scoreline at uh, the iPro yesterday. And, you know, my thoughts on the game were that, you know, we, we played very well uh, away from home, solid at the back. We, we didn't try and dominate possession. Um, we let Derby have it. And I, I, I thought that our players knew their roles very very well they they were stick they were very organized disciplined you could tell it was a Rafa Benitez team and the difference between that performance yesterday and the one that we gave on the first day at Fulham were a million miles away on that first day we looked like a team that wasn't ready for the championship and yesterday we looked like a team that was ready to battle and ready to get down and do the hard yards in in the league and we weren't expecting to dominate the game at all we didn't go there expecting to win we really put the work in and we got our rewards in the end um we, I thought we could have went up an extra gear if required, but it wasn't sad. It wasn't sadly for Derby's case. We we, we were quite comfortable. I thought Derby didn't create many uh, clear cut chances, and that extra bit of quality showed in the final third. Uh, the first goal from Goufran was ridiculous from a player that has been on the outskirts of the club. Um, the club's wanted to move him on. He's not played that much. He's come in and he's played really well uh, in the championship. He's doing his work defensively. And yesterday he just showed that he has that bit of quality in the penalty box that, you know, comes from all those years playing in the Premier League. And his his resurgence under Benitez has been incredible. And I'm really happy about that because we're paying big wages to him still. I think he's probably on about 30 or 40 grand. And, you know, if we're going to be paying those... uh, those that much money for him we need to be getting our money's worth and we are starting to get that 
We haven't conceded a goal in over 400 minutes. Uh, our game management has definitely improved under Benitez. And it, I, I think we're in a great position to go on and just start our assault on that top of the league and start to build a gap. Obviously, it's not going to be easy. We know that. We don't want to get complacent, but the signs are that we've got a really good squad. We've got a lot of depth. People like Daryl Murphy, um, Grant Hanley didn't even get in the squad yesterday, which just sort of shows how much uh, quality we've got in the de- uh, in the squad. And I'm hoping that, you know, that, that does show. And that brings me on nicely to our topic for today, rotation, because uh, obviously in the championship, there's a lot of double game weeks. Uh, you have to rotate your team if you have the players. And uh, I just want to know from each of you how, how your uh, managers sort of deal with the rotation and do you think they use it effectively? We'll start with you, James. Well, I, th- I, th- I think actually maybe the week uh, yesterday, uh, the weekend, the first time he did uh, seem to rotate with sort of Tuesday in mind. Um, you know, he normally kind of persists with Sebastian Polter up front for the whole game. Uh, he came up, he, he didn't have the best first half. He came off and Connor Washington got more minutes than, um, th- than, he, than he normally gets. Um, and also the midfield two, uh, the midfield kind of deep line two, he tend, they do move about. And I think if uh, Massimo Luongo hadn't been, um, ha- I mean, he just come back from playing for Australia. Uh, but I think that also helped to be able to rest him for um, the game against Newcastle on, on Tuesday. I think the, the back five um, tends to be settled. And I think if you can have any, any, anything uh, that was going to be settled, then you'd want it to be the defence. But I don't think we've got enough quality with our wider players to really rotate, Yeah, despite bringing people in. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. We've still got some people to make debuts. But, um, but yeah, he does. He does. But whether the squad's got enough quality... Uh, and depth to kind of manage it is is a completely different matter. Yeah, and Scott, just moving on to you now, how important do you think rotation is in this league? And does Chris Hewton use it well? I think I've noticed in the past that Brighton seemed to rotate their strikers quite a lot. Do you think, is that something yeah. that he does? Yeah, is that something that he does? And do you think that he uses it well? Or can um, he use it better? Well, I totally agree with what James said about how you want the, you know, you're settled back for and you keep, you don't want to be messing around with that. Which, uh, to be fair, that's, that's the one position we have been settled in. The few times uh, Chris Hewton did rotate last year was quite questionable because he took out um, Barim Kyle, who's by far and away our best player. He rested him against... Um, I think he was missing injured, actually, against Preston at home. We drew 0-0. He rested him Sheffield Wednesday home in the league, which we drew 0-0. And he rested him away at Cardiff, which we lost 4-1. You think if we take any more points out of any of those games, even if we score two more goals, we're... We're in the Premier League. It's it was boggling that he, he did it in those sorts of games. I can understand why it has to happen, but for me it was just a totally mindless decision, especially for a key player like that. Uh, as you as you just said, Jake, going forward we've we've got five sort of top draw wingers who'd probably get into most other teams in the in this division starting eleven. So going forward we're we're all right in that department in terms of switching things around, and sometimes you have to do it playing teams with different threats and what have you. But last year, we did have the four strikers. We had uh, Wilson on loan from Man United. Obviously, Zamora was still there. And uh, Hemed and Bulldogs, so you could switch them around. This year, we've just got the three. And like I say earlier, if uh, yesterday was anything to go by, it's going to be a bit of a struggle to uh, score goals and break teams down if we're relying on two of those three. Yeah, and Andy at, at Derby, how does uh, 
obviously it's early early times in the uh, Nigel Pearson era. How how's he sort of managed it so far? Do you think he's going to rotate quite a lot, or is he a manager that likes to have a settled side? Uh, well, uh, if he's planning on rotating it, I, I, I don't know uh, what sort of changes he would bring in because yesterday saw the first start for James Wilson up front. Um, Matty Vidra played his first game. Um, you could possibly put Tom Ince behind them, but uh, other options up front are Nick Blackman and Darren Bent. And Nick Blackman, from what I've seen of him so far, um, he signed last January, just hasn't been at the races. Darren Bent, nowadays, I, I would see him more as coming on the last 10, 15 minutes um, just to pile on to, you know, to score a goal towards the end of the game. But that's pretty much about it, I would think, at the minute for attacking options. I mean, I'm led to believe that Derby were in the hunt for another striker during the window, but it just didn't come up. So <laughs> that's about that's about it, I think. Yeah, you just mentioned Tom Ince there. Um, he obviously was one of the best uh, players in the division two or three years ago. What role do you think he's going to have this season? Because he seems to be struggling a bit over the last, you know, over the start of the season so far. Well, when he initially came in on loan, um, he, he scored something like 10 goals in 15 games. Last season, he blew hot and cold a bit, but he was playing wide out on the right. Uh, the games he started this season... Um, he's played behind the uh, behind the striker. Um, what plans now? I would guess if he's going to start, he'll be pushed out wide again because obviously Wilson and Vidra are going to be the starters. Uh, Anya's playing out on the uh, left wing, so possibly in competition uh, to play wide out on the right uh, with Abdul Kamara. I guess I, I differ from everybody else in this podcast purely because I think Newcastle have got such a big squad that we can probably change our whole eleven and still put out a competitive team, which a lot of fans are probably quite upset about. I've seen a lot of fans on social media complaining about the money that Aston Villa and Newcastle are spending, which I think sort of, it's a fair complaint. I think the the FF uh, I think the parachute payments and sort of the FFP rules don't favour teams that have been in the division for a long time, they definitely favour those that are coming down, which sort of allows the, the relegated clubs to put together these massive squads because it, it is kind of ridiculous how many good players that Newcastle have or may, maybe not good, but those that are you know proven in the division like Hanley and Murphy, I mentioned earlier, didn't even make the squad yesterday. Christian Atsu came in from low and he's, he's not in the squad either. So it, we do have an embarrassment of riches and it's shown during our opening six or seven games in all competitions only the goalkeepers started all of them. So, yeah, we, we change it around a lot. It's something that Benitez is known for. He's done it throughout his career and he's really taken advantage of it at Newcastle. And it's a club that you can't, you can use it effectively because there's, there is a lot of options for him to use. And yeah, I, it's a little bit unfair. I'd just like to hear your, each of your thoughts on that now because I've heard, I've heard a lot of complaints about the sort of FFP and the parachute payments. Do you think that? they're unfair and they're going to create a divide in the division and maybe take away some of the competitiveness of it? I'll, I'll, James, I'll jump in. Um, seeing as a, as a QPR fan, no other team in recent years has really done such a bad job of having parachute payments. Um, and, and the thing is, though, do you kind of, what, what, what else do you expect? Do you, if any other team was coming down and it was any other team in the division, they happened to gone up and come down, they would do the same. It's just frustrating because it just ultimately just feels unfair. And we have a kind of a very kind of 
sporting a kind of attitude in this country generally. What I can say for QPR is there was some, you know, ramblings going on about uh, the potential of FFP. And it sort of hasn't come to pass because we somehow managed to sell some players and then we received, you know, the best part of 10, 12 million for Raheem Sterling last year for the add-on. And then this year, if you have if you have a look at how QPR have spent, they've spent money, but the, the selling selling Leroy Fur and Matt Phillips has basically balanced the books again. We've actually got very few assets, so I think you know, kind of speaking from the perspective as I see it, if you if you don't if you fail to go up again, or if you yo yo, you've just got to be aware that you need to strip everything that you've got, or you will get hit with a hefty fine. But I can't you can't blame Newcastle and Villa. The problem is if it already looks like Newcastle will be fine. Problem is, if it goes wrong for a team, then then there's trouble. Are you? Could you go further down to a Bolton or a Wigan? Yeah, that's definitely a concern. I think the difference between Newcastle and Villa is we did bring in 30 million in profit in the transfer window. So I don't think we've even touched the parachute payments. Maybe we have in wages, but it's not like we've been crazy with our money we sort of managed it well but it, it is a bit unfair that we do have this money and Scott it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts because obviously last year Brighton finished third goal difference was the only thing that stopped them from becoming a Premier League team and now this season you're instantly behind these three other clubs that have all this money and they have a sort of Premier League squad how what do you think of the uh, the current sort of setup in terms of parachute payments and things um I think I can understand parachute payments well I could understand them but because if a you know, you've got a. You don't want to do, be doing a Burnley and going up and then thinking, right, sod it, we're in the Premier League now. Let's not spend any money. We'll just drop back down again. You want the Premier League to be competitive, so teams need to spend money to do so. But on the flip side of that, if you spend money and then you do come down, you could be in a bit of financial trouble, as we saw with you know the likes of Leeds, Southampton dropping through the league. So before, I think parachute payments are justified, but now you've got this massive TV deal, which is just totally obscene amounts of money floating around. They're not really needed anymore because if a team comes down, it should, in theory, have enough money from that TV deal to sort itself out. On the uh, the point of financial fair play, I think we were one of the, the only clubs who actually adhered to it in the, the season where we really struggled because we basically bought in a load of absolute rubbish trying to stay within the limits. And you look at teams, I think... Like the, the best point is two teams who've gone up having broken the financial fair play rules were Bournemouth, plucky little Bournemouth, who obviously weren't so plucky, they basically spent their wage promotion, and Leicester, who obviously went on to win the Premier League. So the financial fair play thing is just a, an absolute joke for me. Yeah, there definitely does have to be some sort of changes to the, the parachute payments and financial fair play, because at the moment it is just favouring the big clubs. Uh, Andy, I guess you're in a similar position to Scott where you've been challenging pr- for promotion probably for the last four or five years and you haven't got it but each year you're sort of set back because all these clubs are coming down with all this money do you think that the system's right or do you think it needs some major sort of overhaul it, it, it certainly needs looking at I mean we we have complied with financial fair play um, our owner Mel Morris has stated that last year despite the spend we will meet it again but uh, with this this season, I know um, we, we sold Hendrick and uh, there's one or two others, which you know covers the cost of the players we brought in. But I think the intentions of financial fair play were good, was to stop teams from overstretching themselves. But uh, I think they've taken a, a sledgehammer to crack a nut. I think um, if an owner is prepared 
to gift the money to buy players, you know, i.e. they don't owe, the club doesn't owe the owner, then I, I think they should be allowed to do that. Um, we, the, the, the massive amount of money that a team earns in the Premier League, um, it, it's right, what's just been said, uh, the parachute payments uh, are absolutely enormous. And, uh, you know, I don't think the, the, the clubs need all this money. Uh, to, be, to be quite honest, the TV money needs spreading out more than, than what it is at the moment anyway, because uh, you know, you're creating a them and us situation. Although, I mean, you, you always do get an exception to the rule as well, because Aston Villa has splashed a bit of money lately. And I don't see them as uh, making the top two and going up automatically. Yeah, that could go completely the opposite way and they could go into some quite uh, financial problems, which, uh, yeah, it it shows the negative sides of using this parachute payments because you can destroy clubs by using it. I, I think I can see arguments for both sides. I think I can understand why clubs in the Championship who've been there for a long time are annoyed that Aston Villa can come down and spend £50 million on Bristol City star striker. But then I can understand why Aston Villa are using that money because they've got no reason not to. They've been given it and they've got every right to use it. So it's the system that's broken rather than the clubs acting badly. And I think it definitely needs to be looked at. And then more money is just going to come into the game. Like there's talk of a European Super League and obviously that's going to have bad effects on all the clubs in the Football League. But this is not the place to talk about that. I will uh, move on to our next topic, which I just want to touch on briefly, is the EFL Cup. I'm not a fan of the competition and I would like to hear your thoughts on it because obviously all our all the clubs represented today are still in the competition. So do you think maybe it, it offers more hindrances than help? I'm amazed that QPR are still in the in in the in any form of cup. Um, they have a disastrous record with cups. So, um, so it, to be honest, it just feels like a bit of light relief that we were completely not expecting. Somehow we've managed, we managed to fluke it past, oh God, was it Rochdale, uh, who knocked us out of the cup a couple of years ago at Loftus Road. Um, so for any, for any, oh God, I'm speaking again as a QPR fan, obviously, but for any QPR fan, it's sort of a welcome novelty because it never happens i think we haven't got to the fifth round of any cup competition since 1997 so you know it's in a campaign like the championship which has so many games it's dreadful but uh for a qpr fans we're, we're laughing i mean we'll probably we'll probably lose to sunderland but uh but at least we can say we got to the third round Yes, yeah. what are your thoughts on the competition? Just, do you think Brighton should have a go in it or do you think it's just a distraction from the league? Uh, well, to be honest, I'd forgotten we were in it until you mentioned it. It's a, it's a bit of a nightmare. To be honest, in the early rounds, you don't really want to be in it. Hence why we've basically chucked in our entire development squad for the two games we've played. The reward of which is Reading at home. But on the flip side... In the last couple of years, our first season at the Amex, we got Liverpool at home, which was obviously a, a great day. And um, then we've had Spurs away, which was good fun. So if you get the, if you get deep into the competition, I think it's it's worth having for a club like Brighton. I mean, I'm sure it's different for teams who've been to you know your Liverpools and seen your team play there in the league and stuff. But for us, obviously, it's not happened for a generation. So in that regard, it's good. And I'm I'm sure if uh, if we got to the final, I wouldn't be complaining. As if you ask a Bradford fan, they'd probably say they absolutely love it after their little 
jaunt player, Swansea at Wembley a few years back. Yeah, and Andy, do you have a sort of similar thought to it? Do you like it? Uh, well, to be quite honest, uh, the early rounds I can't get too excited about. Uh, we just made progress after a marathon penalty shootout with Carlisle. Um, I'll be, I'll put my hands up if we get to the quarterfinals. I do start to get a little bit interested. And a few years ago, we met Manchester United in the semi-finals, and uh, that's when uh, I noticed that uh, the majority of the fans then were saying, you know, hey, you're one step from Wembley, chance of a bit of silverware. But it's, it's until you get to those, uh, you know, the last couple of rounds where teams are, are more or less full strength. Um, I, I think the, the interest um, isn't really there. And uh, I think the, the, the league really do need to have a look at the competition um, because uh, a, a lot of Premier League teams, net, well, certainly those in uh, the Champions League and uh, the Europa League, uh, they've got the distraction there. Um, this is this is extra games. You've got the extra games in Europe. Uh, when they when they play in their early rounds, um, they put sometimes unrecognisable teams out. How do we make this competition more attractive? I really don't know. Now, I think my thoughts to make it more attractive are to get rid of it altogether and start the FA Cup earlier because then you'll have teams respecting that competition a lot more. Because when it gets to January, teams like Southampton, Sunderland, you know, teams that are trying to achieve something in the league, either survive or European places, they're going to look at the FA Cup and think, no, we don't need that. Whereas if you start that at the beginning of the season, you stage it out and then you can maybe play replays as well because that's another topic that is up for discussion. Teams don't want them anymore. You could stage that competition out from September like they do in some foreign countries. They have them in cup competition from August. And then that would work a lot better and teams would respect that a lot more. I think it would be better to have one rather than both. But yeah, it's, I, I agree that it, this is a good competition when it gets to December and all the teams want to win it. But until that point, it's a bit pointless. It's just a, another game where you can get injuries. And especially for some of the teams in the, in the championship, the, bottom, uh, the lower teams that don't have a deep enough squad, it can have a very poor effect on their league campaign. So... Yeah, it's, it's definitely one that needs to be looked at as well. It's um, As a lot of things do in English football at the moment, there's a lot of problems and I think it should probably go. But um, yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Maybe getting rid of the, the competition altogether and having the FA Cup start earlier or just would um, be a bad idea. I'd go for sort of the... I do like the way the Germans do their cup where they start it. It's the first game of the season and the, the lower-ranked teams are guaranteed a game against a higher-ranked team. I mean, I'm sure that's not... A home game as well, so you know you get the money in that way. I'm sure that's not good for in terms of the lower league team progressing, but maybe that's something to be looked at. So if you think if you're a fan of, I don't know, Cheltenham Town or someone like that, and then you say, right, we've got a really good chance here of getting Man United through the gate. Yeah, they'll put out a rubbish team, but you'll, people will still go and think, Christ, you know, it's Man United just down the road. And then that money that a club could get in for that game could sort them out for the season, as we hear so much about in the FA Cup. I think that's a, I think that's a, I think that's a great idea. I didn't know that uh, German leagues run it like that. Um, and when you think what we were talking about earlier in terms of the money in the top top leagues, um, money you know TV money doesn't exist really in the lower leagues. So you know it's all about trying to get revenue in other ways you can. And if you can get as big a gate as possible um, and get any merchandise selling from that one game, I think that's good. I think that's quite a wise 
wise way to go. I think it'd be a shame to see it go, but it's kind of the same. FA Cup's been devalued as well as the League Cup over recent years. So um, but I do like the, the idea of taking on the German uh, model. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, certainly. I mean, um, I fully support the idea of the lower teams, you know, being guaranteed a, a tie against uh, the bigger sides in the country to, you know, drag the punters through the gate. Um, something's got to be looked at, and it's not just the EFL Cup, the FA Cup as well, and maybe some kind of merger between the two competitions. I mean, the FA Cup isn't going to get scrapped. It's the oldest competition in the world, but it has lost the glamour. I mean, I can remember when I was a young lad, Cup final day, everybody sat down and watched, you know, watched it. Nowadays, you know, people, some take it, some leave it, you know, some don't bother at all. Yeah, it's like the, um, is it the checkered trade trophy i don't really want to call it that but yeah there's a lot of stuff going on in english football at the moment that needs to be looked at because it's it's worked for a while but now it's just not but uh yeah i'll just move on to player watch now i just want to ask each of you which players impressed and disappointed in your club's most recent fixture we'll start with you james it was it wasn't a great showing all round but what was gen what was really encouraging in terms of who pleased uh was a, a youth team player who's coming through the ranks called uh, Olamide Shadipo. Uh, he's kind of a winger. And to be honest, I think he's probably man of the match. Uh, he's quite quite pacey. He's uh, He can put a ball in. He's got a little trick. But what I liked the most was he didn't seem scared. He just kind of, you know, could blackburn quite a lot of big players. And he just got involved and um, won a few tackles. Um, unfortunately got booked for a tackle that, you know, might have been, I wouldn't say it was naive. I felt sorry for him, but he is, he has really, really, um, really impressed. And, um, you know, to have maybe a youth product come through and stake a place in the first team is sort of, um, so rare, so rare at Loftus Road. So he definitely, he definitely impressed. Yeah. Scott, uh, who, I guess more people disappointed in your game against Brentford, but did anyone impress? Um, I wouldn't say I was impressed by uh, Shane Duffy on his day on his home debut. I'd say it was more uh, an entertaining ninety minutes from him, and I can totally see how he managed to score what was it three own goals and get sent off in two games because within ninety seconds of kick off yesterday, he should have given away a penalty. He had a couple of interesting moments, so I don't think there's going to be a a dull moment with him at the back. But in terms of impressive for actually being good rather than entertaining, Lewis Dunk again, I know we discussed him earlier, but he was absolutely colossus, or he has been all season as well. Uh, Disappointing-wise, David Stockdale had a, a bit of a game to forget yesterday. He got his angles wrong for the first goal. And when I say got him wrong, I mean he was totally out of position, trying, expecting a cross, got done at the near post. Which begs the question, we've rushed him back from injury and we've got a perfectly good backup keeper in a Nicky My Empire who's kept two clean sheets from three games. Don't know why we rushed him back, to be honest. It's all a bit of a mystery. Yeah, Shane Duffy's a player I rated quite highly before this season started, but he's just doing stupid things in every game, that seems. So yeah, you, I... you can tell he's obviously he's a, he's a very good player. He'll fit into the way we play in terms of you know knocking the ball out the back, but some of the stuff he does just boggles the mind. <laughs> just make, I spent most of the last, uh, well, yeah, yesterday just laughing at some of the stuff he was up to. But hopefully it won't cost us too many points. No, hopefully not. Um, moving on to you uh, now, Andy, what were your thoughts on the Derby game? Who impressed you and who disappointed you in the game? 
Well, to be to be quite honest, um, I think Vidra and Anya showed flashes. Um, I think Will Hughes was our best player on the pitch. I think he's been our best player so far this season. He's been played deeper than uh, we'd like to see him uh, due to form being injured. But he, he goes out there. I mean, the, the lad's only 21, but he, but he, he plays like uh, you know, a veteran. I suppose, uh, you, you know, he, he's been there longer than most of the players now. But uh, really, there's, there's very little positive... You, I can say about the team so far this season, it's, it's been that poor. But, you know, we're, we're going to have to uh, bite a lip and uh, give the manager time because, uh, you know, he's came in, he, he wants to change the system. And let's be fair, the previous one has failed us three seasons. It will take at least two, maybe three transfer windows till he builds this, you know, he builds a team here that uh, will play his way. And incidentally, you know, Leicester City fans told me when he initially went in there, I think they lost three out of their first five games. Uh, the football was awful. But uh, as he as he tweaked the team, as he moulded it into the way and how he wanted it, you know, uh, things started to go right. So I think we're going to have to sit <laughs> sit down, be patient and let the manager get on with the job. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, th- I think also yesterday, I, I may be biased in saying this, but I thought you came up against a very well-organised team that came there exact- and knowing exactly what they needed to do and they carried out the instructions to the letter and it, it would have been difficult for it, most teams in this division to get something out of us yesterday. I'm not saying we're going to do that every week, we're probably not, but we, we did play very well and it, it was maybe unfair to criticise Pearson for, for, for yesterday because I, I, I think, I think uh, Benitez just played a blinder for us, but... Uh, it just made it difficult. I'm struggling on this question because nobody really impressed me from our team, but nobody really disappointed me. It was just everybody sort of had a seven out of ten performance, and it was more a good team performance rather than any individual standing out. I, I mentioned Gufran earlier; he impressed me because he he got his goal and he's he's continuing to work hard, which and and you know he's justifying his place in the team, which is good. Uh, Shelby looks a, a cut above in this division. He played really well against Brighton, as Scott would probably agree, and he played really well again yesterday. And it, He's starting to put consistency into his into his game, which he previously lacked. And once he adds that, he's a player that can play in the in the top ten of the Premier League. So I'm hope I'm hoping that this season will be his breakthrough season. And if we do go up, that he can uh, establish himself in the Premier League again because he has the talent. It's just his attitude has been a bit dodgy to say the least. But um, yeah, before we wrap up the podcast today, I just want to ask each of you to give a brief preview of our upcoming matches because there's midweek matches so uh we'll start with you scott you've got the uh you've got a match against the runaway leaders huddersfield i'm hoping that you can win this one do you think that you'll be able to get back to winning ways against uh david wagner's men um i imagine it'll be a lot easier than i say a lot easier but obviously they're top of the league they're not gonna come and presumably sit back and they're gonna have a go which they did last year in fairness when I think it was one of the first games after the transfer window and uh, David obviously had his wicked way with Huddersfield and they looked like such a good team then, I've thought at the time. Now they could have, uh, if they hold on to him, they could really push this season and that's come to fruition. So hopefully they'll come and have another go and that may play to our strengths a little bit more. But normally when we come up against a, you know, a good team, a, a top six team, we tend to draw those sorts of games. All last season, we drew every game against sides around us, apart from beating Hull at home. So I'll 
I'd imagine it will probably be a, a score draw, I'd say. So, good one for the coupon. Yeah, and uh, Andy, you've got the visit of uh, Ipswich Town, who've had an underwhelming start to the season. It looks on paper to be a good one to get back to winning ways and score a few goals. Uh, do you think that's going to be the case? Do you think you're going to win this one? <laughs> well, we're, we've played Villa, we've played Newcastle, we've played Brighton, three of the teams that you, you're going to expect to be there or thereabouts at the end of the season. And you think, right, the easier fixtures should come. Ipswich Town, yeah, haven't played very well, whatever. We have got a dreadful record at home to Ipswich Town over the past few years. I, I, I think the last time we beat them at home was it was about 10 years ago. Um, all our recent victories against them have actually been away from home. Um, we don't play well against Mick McCarthy's sides. Having said that, different manager, different ideas. Um, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we may just uh, ping this one about one nil. <laughs> And uh, finally, James, our two teams meet at uh, Loftus Road on Tuesday night. How do you, I'll let you start off. How do you see this one going? Do you think you can get something out of the game? It's sort of, well, um, how, do you, how do you like three points, Jake? Um, well, it sort, of, it sort of depends what QPR turn up. We've had quite a few results that away from home that have been good. And I think that's to do with how we set up 4-2-3-1 quite defensive. Even though we're at home and you should try and be thinking more positive, I'd happily take a draw right now because Newcastle have got kind of got going. Um, but if if Newcastle kind of go on the front foot and we play sort of almost like the away team, maybe maybe we'll get something. I mean, everything points as things start to be gearing up and Newcastle getting ahead of steam towards Newcastle. I would just like to see Hasselbank do something different, like. You know, like not start with Sebastian Poulter or like you know, maybe give Connor Washington 90 minutes because the guy still hasn't scored for us in the league. He's only scored in the cup and we've had him since January now. Um, I mean, I don't know what you think, Jake, but I, I, I give you guys, you got, for me, you guys are the favourites and I take a point now, but um, I, I'd like to see us try and surprise you. But I, I imagine a 4-2-3-1 Sebastian Poulter up front, basically. Yeah, I'm sorry to disappoint you here, but I think that we're probably going to play like the away team. We, we've gone to Bristol City and we went to Derby yesterday and we, we let we let the uh, home team have the possession. We sort of just looked to frustrate them and when chances came our way, we looked to take them. And as a, a lot of Premier League players are still in the squad, that we've still got that bit of Premier League class and we can take chances when they come our way. So I think it's going to be more of the same. I think we're going to set up and let you have the ball and then look to break quickly with uh, Dwight Gale up front. We could change it about. I think we're probably going to make three or four changes to the to the starting eleven because Rafa does like to rotate. We might see Mitrovic or Murphy start, which would be interesting because it, it would suggest a change in style and we might try and dominate the game a bit more and get more crosses in. But yeah, I think that we might draw this game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that to you, James. I'm going to say a draw because I think we've won our last five and we're bound to drop points again soon. I just can't see us keep winning. And I don't like the going into every game thinking we're going to win. So I, I, I'm going to go for a draw. I reckon it's going to be a one-all draw and it's going to be sort of one of those classic midweek just, you know, coupon busters where everybody goes for Newcastle and they just drop, drop points. So I reckon 1-1. One, one. And I'm going to say Connor Washington scores his first goal just because... I like Q- QPR, nev- QPR always let people down the other way around on a on a coupon. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. But when you said Gail uh, Murphy Mitrovic as a striking options in the championship, that is terrifying. 
Yeah. Three of the best strikers in the division in one squad. Mad. <laughs> yeah, that it is a little bit worrying that Murphy can't even make our bench at the moment. But I reckon he might make his debut against QPR. And I've not really seen much of him, but he's, he scored his first goal for Ireland, though. So hopefully that is a good thing for us. But with that, we are sadly out of time now. So um, if you'd just like to tell people where they can reach you or tell anyone any websites you're involved in, that would be a good time. Oh, I start, as I started, I'll finish. Uh, so, Jim E. Evans on Twitter. And if you uh, like reading Shoot magazine or you used to buy it when you were younger, I also blog for QPR for Shoot at Shoot Football. Uh, you can find my website is wearebrighton.com. We're on Facebook under that and on Twitter as well for We Are Brighton. Andy Buckley Taylor. You can find me on Twitter at BookTaylor64. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today, uh, guys. Um, if you want to find my stuff, my Twitter account is at Jake Jackman with two N's. I write for EPL Index, The Boot Room, Newcastle 360. Basically, you just write all the time, so you can check all that out. And um, just want to thank all of you for listening today, guys, and we hope you join us again soon on the Championship Roundtable. <laughs> <laughs>